You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. It's good to have a packed house of people that are worshiping the Lord. The Bible says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord and worship together, praise the Lord together, seek the Lord, challenge each other, grow together, build. Man, what a great time it is. Such a time. That's been the word. Such a time as this. I was spoken over Esther. And I, I just speak that over us today, that we are in a such a time moment, a moment where, where God is moving some mountains in our lives, in our communities, in our, in our school, in our workplaces, in our just places of influence. God is alive. God's working. He's moving. You know, never feel like God isn't doing. He's always up to something. And his, his, his program is not the slow jam. I don't know, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> his program is to advance the kingdom of God. And he wants to use us. He wants to use us for that. And it's important that we're good, you know, as believers. I, I'm believing that this is a season where uh, the maturity and the health of the church is at an optimum place and an ideal place where we are healthy, right? Healthy people help heal other people, but hurt people hurt others. So, you know, let's not be a church that's, that's burdened with our own hurts and, 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 and things going on, but let us be a people that take steps to uh, grow, build, uh, encourage each other. So never neglect the gathering of the saints. You know, you being connected uh, with this person, with the person next to you, you might not even know the person next to you, but you're connected to that person. Uh, you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God, and God has plans for you. God has something amazing uh, for you, and uh, we don't neglect that. For those that are even watching online, you are tuned in right now for such a time as this, for God is with you. And I pray that this message is a receptive message today. Uh, I pray that we all just receive the love of God and, and, and just move in the way that God has called us to move. Because I know uh, life is hard. Let's not fake the funk, right? Like life, real talk, man. Like li life, is, life is hard. Life has challenges and all of our challenges are are complex. All of our challenges have different nuances to them uh, that that make them different. And um, but but God does see that. Um, you know, uh, one of the greatest gifts that I believe that I received as a kid was a father that was very hard on me, and a mother that demanded uh, excellence in, in many ways. You know, like. Uh, you know, report card. I thought it was good. I thought my, I thought the A's were good, but that B, like, hey, bro, what's up with the B, man? Get it right, you know? Like, you know, mom was, mom was always checking. I, you know, I know she's trying to duck and dodge. Uh, thank you, thank you, mom, for demanding excellence, and and I fall short, and it was frustrating. But in the long run, you begin to appreciate that other people saw something greater in you that you even that you didn't even see in yourself and, and I, had, I had a father that I wished I, I truly wish that you know I got to meet him amazing man and just uh but he was hard he was hard on me and uh always I I you know there were things that just came up where I, I'll get into that let, let's let's throw the first picture up here this is my dad on the left uh my grandfather in the middle and my eldest my older brother <laughs> uh on the right and uh, my, my father, he grew up in, and my grandfather grew up in, in a place called Troy, Alabama, uh, about five hours south of here. And um, he had a, and, and I say I had a hard life. I, I really didn't compare it to uh, my grandfather growing up in the 
deep, deep South, the Jim Crow South of the, in the born in the 20s and uh, growing up through the 30s, 40s, and my father being born in the 50s, um, they both, uh, my father picked cotton, and I'm like, man, this is one generation away, you know, and I, I, I got to see the advancement of what he was able to change in the trajectory of, of our family and just one generation. And uh, my older brother, he was, he's about 10 years older than me, and I wanted to always be like my older brother. He was, you know, just into sports and into all sorts of uh, cool things, and he was a, a great example uh, for my life. Um, but here I, I, I do shed with slight trepidation because sometimes we can uh, glamorize or even romanticize our history and our past. And, and, I, and, and, and to even share what I'm about to share in front of you, it's like, ah, I don't want them to, to think that this about my grandfather or to think this about my father. Um, but my, my, my grandfather, I had a, a, a great relationship. And these three people are three of the most influential people in my life. You know, uh, my, my grandfather uh, more, more so indirectly because but my father was so connected to my grandfather that a lot of what he relayed to me was from my grandfather. So um, and but like I said, we many times we can glamorize and just pull out the, the good things. Um, but I feel like I'd probably be doing you all a disservice if I did that. And I was uh, a little frightful into doing this, but I feel like it's necessary in order for us to get to where we want to go as a people, uh, to be authentic, to be transparent, and to be really genuine about um, our history and our past. Um, so my grandfather was, uh, had, had anger issues and to the point, and, and, uh, and I would even say uh, 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 some abusive issues, to the point that all of his children migrated to New Jersey uh, to kind of get away from him. And that's how I now have the roots from Jersey, is uh, he had 11 brothers and sisters. My dad was in the military at the time. He was a little older. And uh, his, his wife and all of his children packed up in a van and fled away to get away from him. And um, we see my father was a amazing man of God who was at every one of my ball games, who was a great saver, a great spender. I mean, not a spender, a great, um, a great giver, just very sacrificial in all of his things. He was very challenged. He had a military background. Hey, Tracy. Tracy? Oh, sorry. I thought that was... Oh, that, that was somebody. Sorry. <laughs> Edit. I'm sorry. Lord Jesus. Uh, was just, he was amazing. Um, just a great, great man. But at the same time, he also had some, some anger issues. And I got yelled at a lot as a child. And he had this military background. And, um, uh, you know, and there was always this idea that I was never good enough or never really do exactly what I needed to do. Um, and he, I mean, he loved his wife well. He was always like, like I have nothing but great things except for <laughs> the fact that there were some things with his confrontation. Like, for instance, today, uh, I struggle with confrontation many times because 
uh, my father was very kind of in-your-face confrontational about things. So now I had to like, be like, well, I, I just avoid it. You just begin to avoid some of those things and just it, it ain't even worth it, you know, instead of coming, getting to a place where you're like, no, there's healthy confrontation. There's good confrontation to have, you know. So my brother, just an amazing man. Don't need to dive into that. Um, he's, he's, he's dope. Um, but I say all that to say that our lives, and maybe you could think of your stories with your parents or with just your brothers or your sisters, and uh, think about how they may have affected, because we're all, like I said earlier, we're all actually really in, in, interconnected, and you're really connected to the people that are core to you. So we don't, as Christians, and as we read the Bible, and as we kind of get into the text, uh, we can't necessarily look at it through this vacuum. Many times we can look at the scriptures through a vacuum. Oh, such and such did this. So that you make a, a quick assessment and assertion on someone when you don't really know the backstory. You know, so it requires patience. It requires time to know. And, and my hope and my goal is to know stories. No, your story. Like, no. How did you get here? How did you get to the place that you are today so that we can be able to grow and to build? And why do we have these challenges? Why do I struggle in certain areas where I might feel like I shouldn't? But sometimes we can trace it back a little bit. So today we're going to talk about um, the spirit of Absalom. But I really need to backdrop it a little bit so that we can catch the full context. And uh, this next picture, I'm going to move real quick here, is, the, is a picture of, somewhat a similar picture of uh, where, my, uh, where my dad grew up uh, in the 50s in the Deep South. And you begin to kind of understand some of the, the pain and the anger and the challenging because he lived a very hard life uh, with segregation, with, uh, you know, just being treated in, in, with inferiority, with so many different dynamics. And this next picture is me uh, at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. So if you've seen the movie Selma, this is in Selma, Alabama. This is where Bloody Sunday took place. This is about 85 miles north or, yeah, northwest of Troy, Alabama, where my father grew up. So they are living from the 20s to now, we're in two, two, 2022. So that is a 100-year a frame of reference that I have, that many of you all have, that you're intertwined and you're, you're connected to. So, so as, as much as we be like, man, that was so long ago, many times things aren't as long as it, it really seems. You know, this is very recent. So the Edmund Pettus Bridge is where uh, black march, uh, foot soldiers were attacked um, by, by, by mobs and by police to, uh, to kind of stop and deny equal voting rights from happening. Uh, and uh, my father was 13 years old when this got televised and was taking place. And if you don't know, Edmund Pettus is actually a, he's a Confederate soldier and he's a grand wizard of the KKK. And if you go through Selma even today, there are still, like I just recently went there, there's still li the libraries named after Edmund Pettus. The, 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 the Parks and Recreation Center is named after Edmund Pettus. And so there is a strong, even in, in Selma today, where all this took place, just a strong uh, feelings of, of the history and of the past uh, that are occurring. So I say that to say, as we talk about Absalom today, I want to backtrack and I want us to look at David. You know how in life, uh, many times we give credence to someone who is an expert in one area, and we give credence to them 
in another area. For instance, we have actors, right? Actors are, man, this actor, did you see this movie? This movie is amazing. This, wow, man, he is such, she is such a good actor, actress. I love what they have to say. And then they start talking about like their relationship style or different things. And we're like, oh, hmm, okay. That's in, that's 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 in like like the world and we in a way we because based on their influence we'll give we'll give it a half a look and be like huh Same, you know what I'm saying like even with me like musicians if musicians and artists or something like they're so gifted and just so talented we like look and then they start talking about politics and we like oh okay yeah, I guess he is right because you're gifted in this area does not automatically assume that you're gifted in another area. And we have to be careful with people of influence not to give that much credence and always giving our, our credence and our allegiance to God because God has a, has a final say in all these things. So this is kind of what's happening with David. So David, we know like, yo, Psalms, he's a big writer of Psalms and poetry. We see that. And then we see David even navigating his relationship uh, with Saul, kind of having great integrity and kind of navigating. That was a, a vi volatile type of environment that he was in. We see him with, with David and Goliath and being a, a, just an amazing man in battle. We see this in David and we know like, yo, David, man, after God's own heart. But David also had some issues. So this is Absalom's father. Absalom is the third child. Uh, Amnon, Daniel, Absalom, Adonijah. All right, he is the, he's the third child. He's seeing like, man, wow, you're so great in battle. But David was not excelling when it came to women and when it came to parenting or with children. Didn't do a great job in, these, in this area. So our main passage is actually 2 Samuel, I believe it's 13, 2 Samuel 13, but we have to backtrack it just as I have to backtrack with my father and grandfather. We have to backtrack Absalom's story with David. So David, in the previous chapter, chapter 11 and 12, is doing his thing with Bathsheba, right? So Bathsheba, David, first and foremost, was supposed to be in battle. He wasn't in battle. He was supposed to be leading his troops. This brother just was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good right now. Finds himself on the rooftop, and he's spotting this girl. Her name is Bathsheba. And he's like, oh, oh, shawty, I got to get with that right there. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that's, you know, that's David is trying to get with Bathsheba. So he orders the, 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 his subjects to go over there and grab her and get her. He knows that she's married. She's like, I'm married. He's like, I don't really care right now. Man, you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you that one right now. That's where, that's where David's at. And he goes and he does his thing with Bathsheba. And Uriah is, is the husband. Bathsheba finds out, I'm pregnant. What, what they gonna say? Uriah, he's he been gone in, in battle for. For, for some time now, and they know that I'm married. So David, instead of like saying, oh, we made a mistake, let's kind of confess, he, he goes and does what? Tries to cover this bad boy up. So first and foremost, he brings Uriah back. <laughs> and be like, yo, Uriah, come back, man. You've done a great job. Uriah is known in the Bible as a loyal and faithful soldier. <laughs> he comes back, and David's like, man, yeah, you good, you good. You know, just get back with your lady and everything, trying to, you know, 
have Uriah to, you know, make love to his wife so that they can pretend that this baby is not David. So, but Uriah is so full of loyalty that he's like, uh, how, how can I, right now I'm kind of, I got to fast from this in a way because my people is in battle. So the, you know, the least I can do is just try to, you know, just lock in on the Lord or whatever the case may be. And David like, dang, this joker won't even sleep with his own wife. So he sends him back off in the battle. Sends him back off in the battle. Gets Joab, uh, one, of his, one of his dudes, to put him on the front lines of the battle and have him killed. So David caught up in adultery. David caught up in the murder, cover up mur- murder, right? And it makes you think, like, wow, I wonder what's going on here. Let's, let's, let's go to stage two with, Daniel, uh, with David. David... The Bible is very clear that David was not necessarily a great parent. First Kings 1 6 talks about he refused to rebuke uh, Amnon and Adonijah, he, uh, and it caused their rebellion. Uh, scriptures, early manuscript footnotes and scriptures talk about that he was afraid to discipline. And like I said, it's important for us to be a people that, that discipline and, and correct and, and rebuke our children. But he was afraid. And he ne- the Bible says that he never said, why did you do this, son? Like, what was your meaning behind this? So he had a, a neglect for his, for his kids. Bible records he had 21 kids. Only one female is mentioned. We'll get to that. Um, but just to backtrack on, on David, He's like, man, why was he so neglectful? And you can actually somewhat trace this back as well. So, uh, so Jesse is the grandfather of Absalom, the father of David, right? And we see there was a time where Samuel went to Jesse's house to anoint a king. He didn't know which one it was going to be until he got there. So Samuel is there, and he's like, and, and Jesse brings forth seven of the eight sons. And, Sam, and Samuel is like, it's, no, 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 it's not. You know, you, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Hold on, no. I know God said it's from, the, from Jesse. He's like, yo, Jesse, you got any more kids? Oh, 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 oh. Oh, I forgot. We got David out here in the field. He was tending the sheep right now. If you, don't, if you don't bring that boy to me, if you don't bring him to me, come on. Why are you neglecting? So we see even with David was neglected. We see a neglect or an abandonment or an inferiority on David as a kid. So we see, like I was saying with my grandfather, father, that Absalom and even Amnon, we won't talk much, but they played a significant role in how they were connected to their father and potentially their, their grandfather. So our main scripture here is 2 Samuel 13, 1 through 20. We're going to dive in a little bit and do a little reading. I hope we enjoy reading the Bible in the church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good, 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 good. I don't want to. Sounds weird bore you with scripture in the church. Sometimes we kind of like, oh, don't you read too much. Just hit the nuggets. <laughs> but I think it's important to read it so that we can catch the context of what's taking place here. Second Samuel 13, 1 through 20. Okay. 
So it says, this is, a, this is the story of Amnon and Tamar with Absalom and David intertwined within this relationship here. It says, some time passed away. David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. Infatuated. Infatuated. Amnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin. But it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab. Jonadab was a very shrewd man, and he asked Amnon, why are you the king's son? Yo, you David's son. Why you? Why are you so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon replied, man, I'm in love with Tamar. We see in verse 1 it said what? Infatuated. So this is not true. He says, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, all right, I got a plan here. Lie down on your bed. Pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a meal in my presence so I can wash and eat from her hand. So Amnon laid down and pretended to be sick. When the king came to see him, now David is all plugged up in this as well. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. David, the king, is involved. He sent word to Tamar at the palace. He said, please go to my brother Amnon's house and prepare for him a meal. Then Tamar went to his home, went to the house while Amnon was lying down. Amnon is the oldest son of, uh, of David. She took, she took dough, netted it, made cakes in his presence, and baked it. She brought the pan and set it down in front of him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, everybody get out. Everybody leave me. And everyone left. Bring the meal to the bedroom, Amnon told Tamar. So Tamar and Amnon are alone in the bedroom. When she brought them to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. Don't bother me, she cried. Don't disgrace me for such a good thing or such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't commit this outrage. Where could I ever go with my humiliation? And you, you would be like the one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. Speak to, this is our dad. Please, come on, just speak, speak to our dad here. For he will not keep you from me. But he refused to listen to her. And because she was the stronger than she was, he disgraced her by raping her. So Amnon hated Tamar with such intensity that the hatred he hated her with was greater than the love he had with, for her. Get out of here, he said. No, she cried, sending me away is much worse than the great wrong you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. Instead, he called the servant who waited on him. Get this away from me. Get this away from me. That's tough. Mm. Throw her out and bolt the door behind her. Wait, I thought you loved her. Wait, no, you were infatuated. Uh, that's Absalom's, that's Absalom's sister now. Crazy, crazy, crazy. 
Amnon's servant threw out and bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long sleeve robe because this is what king's virgin's daughters wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long sleeve robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head, went away crying. Her brother Absalom said, has your brother Amnon been with you? And then Absalom, his name means father of peace, says, be quiet or be at peace for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in the house of her brother Absalom. This is a terrible story here. <laughs> so first and foremost, let's backtrack to David a little bit. God was so upset with the act of David that he essentially said that four, ki four kids in your family will die prematurely. He said that there will be violence in your family based on what he did uh, with Uriah and Bathsheba. And we actually see this with first baby Bathsheba's first child died. Amnon died prematurely. Absalom died prematurely. And the fourth child, Adonijah, they all died prematurely through violence. The other three definitely through violence. Um, number two. Before we get even into Absalom, where we see his first appearance is, is consoling his, his biological sister here, uh, we see it's 2022. We got we to talk about Tamar and Bathsheba. So we see here, church, two instances here where Tamar was trying her best to kind of ease and to make things halfway decent. Like, like you, you are trying to take advantage of me. Hey, okay, David... David, talk to the king. Just marry, just marry me. Don't disgrace me. Don't do this outrageous thing. At least you can do it. It's marry me. And then the sexual misconduct takes place, and Tamar is like, "Well, where can I go? You gonna keep you? You might as well keep me. Can you keep me now?" And he's like, "Nah, you send you off to the wolves, figuratively speaking, right? Bolting the door and saying, "Get this out of here." And then we look even at Bathsheba and we say, man, sometimes I know David can be a sacred cow where it's like, man, don't talk anything about David. <laughs> it's like, okay. But listen, we're all, we're, all, we're all human. We're all real. We all have good and bad and we all are impacted by different people. So I'm not throwing stones. I'm just giving you a, a honest purview of what's going on here. So Bathsheba was up just... Taking, many people look at Bathsheba like, ah, oh, she knew what she was doing. She knew she was trying to, she knew she was trying to seduce David. David ain't had no, not now, not now business. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> David ain't have no business being where he was. And in retrospect, David tried to cover it up after he did it. So let's not put Bathsheba or Tamar in bad light. Now Absalom, he comes and he is trying to console his sister. And his sister is essentially mentally and spiritually dead. This is Absalom and Tamar are bio brother and sister. Amnon is the half brother, half, you know, so there is a special connection. So many times we can look at Absalom and just see him by what he did. We see, oh, he avenged his brother's death two years later. He created, a he created a political coup, essentially, to take over his father's kingdom. 
He used his charm. He used his flyness. He used his beauty, his handsomeness to sway away David. He assumed, he assumed the throne and declared himself king along with his subjects. Like, yo, I'm king. I'm king. He pushed his father out of the city. And then he even had sex with his father's concubines, wives to disgrace David. Terrible. Terrible. You ever heard that song? It's kind of old now, but when I was doing youth ministry, we, you know, I heard a song, Juju on that beat. You know, you know, Juju on that beat. Juju on that beat. You know, dance with it. Then at the end, it say, you ugly, you your daddy's son. Yeah, y'all know what I'm, you know Don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's his daddy's son right there. Absalom is just walking in the steps of his father. Just think for a moment that you are Amnon and you are seeing your father do what he did with Bathsheba. You're like, hmm, okay, my dad, the king, I guess if he getting away with, you know, sleeping with Bathsheba, I can, I can get away with sleeping with Tamar. My dad doing it. What if you're Absalom, right? And you're thinking... Man, my dad just murdered a loyal soldier, had him killed on the front lines by his homie. I can get a homie, too, and I can actually, I can can be prideful and controlling and and just take over my dad kingdom. It's my dad. My dad doing it. Why can't I do it? You know, just just things to kind of think about. So we look at Absalom, y'all, and Absalom is seeing here right in front of him that his sister has become dismayed, distraught, uh, just, just des- the Bible says desolate. She got on her, 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 uh, her ashes, and she is staying with Absalom for two years. Every time I get off from work, I see my sister just got abused and I'm looking at it and I'm like, my sister, that my sister is dead. Mentally, psychologically, she is she she's she's deemed unworthy. And I'm look and I'm looking at this every day. And David is silent and do nothing about it. You the king. You ain't do nothing about this, man. It's just, this your daughter. What's going on? What's going on, man? My daughter, my sister living with me, man, and you act like you don't care. For two years, we seeing this. Just, I mean, mean, and we look and we're like, man, I don't want want to see Absalom through this vacuum of how he responded. I want to see it first. I got to see what's going on here. Have you all have ever seen movies like, I got my 101 Dalmatian socks on, and uh, I love, you know, uh, straight out of London, you know what I'm saying? So vibing a little bit, feeling good. <laughs> have you all seen like 101 Dalmatians or seen movies like, uh, you know, just movies where you see uh, Batman and things like that, and then you go and you watch the flip side of the movie and you actually see uh, the Joker movie or you see um, Cruella de Vil movie, 
and began to be like, oh, you kind of shift a little bit on like the, like the villain. The hero is not as heroic as you thought, and the villain is not as villainous as you thought. Because you're like, dang, well, the, the mom wanted her dead. Uh, dad just totally abandoned. They, she, she grew up on the street. She didn't have any food, couldn't survive, had to, had to do all these things just for survival. I, I mean, okay, I, I, see your, I see your story a little bit different. I'm not condoning what you're doing, but I see it a little bit different, right? So this is what's taking place. Just for, for instance, let's just do a little exercise. Say you got two kids and you decide to abandon or neglect one, or just say, give them 25% of what you get a first child. 25% of the food, 25% of the clothes, 25% of the education, 25% of church and Bible and worship, 25% of, of, of doctor checkups and, and hygiene. It's just, how, how about that child? What would that child think of you? What would be the traumatic effects of that child? What would that child think of people in general? What would that child think of themselves? You know, what, like, what would be the health issues with this child? How would this child see God? Right? You know, like these are uh, places of, of distance. And, and, so, and, and we can look at that even on a societal level on how we, how, how we as, a, as, a, as a place, as a culture have, have treated women, how we have treated blacks in, in, in our country, how we've treated indigenous people. Where it's like, yeah, you can get 25%, but don't think you're going to get what I got. You know what I'm saying? Real talk. Absalom's story is a story of trauma being unchecked. This is Absalom's story. We see, the first time we see Absalom here, he's saying, be at peace, my sister. His name means father of peace. His trauma, the trauma that has occurred in his life through his sister, watching her every day, watching my daddy every day, watching my older brother every day, act like they don't care about my sister. And she right here, she did. And you won't care about it. This is where Absalom, so, so when you are in a car accident, right, you experience the pain, we pray, you get surgery, you get medicine, but you still have the memory of what happened. And you're hesitant to get back behind the wheel because you know last time you got behind the wheel what might have happened. Same with even athletes, you know, like I've been playing football, you run it, tear your knee up, have surgery, but you still don't quite, quite trust it. This is trauma. I have a friend actually that always talks about like be safe, always like, like he's just consistently sharing about being safe in a car, being safe in a car. And Rachel and I, we've, we've invited like trauma in our home. Like we've, em we've kind of embraced it. Um, not saying that we are prepared. <laughs> I, I don't even know if we've done a great, great job with that. Um, but we know that, that we are supposed to, to, to help walk 
people through that, young and old, to navigate because we know our own situations and our own experience that have caused things. So sometimes when you've experienced it, you have a compassionate heart to help other, see other people through it. So I say Absalom's story is a story of trauma being unchecked. What is trauma? Trauma is actually the memory. It's the memory of pain from a tragic experience or loss that changes identity. It could be individual or it can be collective and many times it can come with long-term neurological effects. It's not the event itself, it is the memory of that event. And what the enemy wants to do today, he wants to use your trauma to destroy you. Now, this, this message is not a message about, uh, as it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So I, I can't sit up here and say, man, Absalom is demonic based on his actions. No, the only, the only demon is the devil. The only demon, like right now, is, is the devil and his cohorts that have a plan to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The devil will use doors that you did not create to destroy you. It ain't my fault. devil don't discriminate he don't even care I'm gonna use a door you did not create I'm gonna use something in your life that you had it wasn't even your fault to try to destroy you is that fair no don't feel fair The devil wants to use the things very close to you to hurt you. The devil wants to use your family to fracture you. See, God, God, God instituted church, God instituted family. Like to have integrity, character, uh, and, and love, to, to, to actually create this foundation for, for healthy community and for healthy living. So... Those things are supposed to be like godly. Like that's what God is wanting to use to have an authority. And when that goes awry, it carries a greater and a deeper impact than if some random dude around the corner do something to you. So the very thing that is closest to you, that family, God wants to fracture that. Or, or the, I'm sorry, the enemy wants to fracture that. The devil wants to use your formative childhood experiences to confuse you. Many of us had a childhood. Yeah, yeah, we're here, we had a childhood, right? But the enemy wants us just to remember the bad things that happened. Your childhood was filled with good and with bad. But what the enemy wants to do is come in and just act like, man, my childhood was a wreck, my childhood was a mess. And just keep that memory and make it traumatic or it might even be, let me, we'll get there, we're gonna get there. Wants to use that to confuse you. 
instead of keeping a, a grander scope of what's going on in our childhood. The enemy wants to simply use our trauma for ultimate tragedy. Trauma is contagious. You can receive it and you can disperse it. Yeah. Unlike like a broken arm, like our, 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 tr- our trauma that we experience, we can easily pass that on to our, our, our generation, our next generation. But Jesus, he wants to turn your trauma into triumph, church. There is a God that, that sees, that cares, that knows um, every single thing about you and is ready, willing, and able to step in. So even as I'm speaking right now, you're probably maybe thinking about, man, that was a bad season in my life, or that was just, and, and, and there's might be a nerve that's starting to hit. And I, I, I pray that I deliver this with, with love and with compassion so that we can walk, as Pastor Josh even said, in, in, in a safe, healthy place of beginning the process of moving forward in whatever stage uh, that we may be in. Luke 4.18, this is Luke the physician. He's speaking here. Um, And he says here, this is how God wants us to triumph over our trauma. He says, the spirit of the Lord, but this is God, this is Jesus uh, declaring himself and making it known what his mission and motive is to. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, and crushed by tragedy, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. This is what God feels about our traumatic experiences, our, our memories, the things that we feel like nobody gets or nobody understands or nobody can, 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 can just fix, God is able and God is so loving and compassion, compassionate that he's saying, I'm, I'm here, I see you, I acknowledge you, I recognize you. My, you can find your, your hope in me. Different types of trauma that we, we all kind of navigate through is one in church trauma, you know, leadership didn't see me, you know, leadership abandoned me or abused me, financial mistrust, my church shut down, the, the, the leaders were, uh, were, were manipulate, manipula- manipulative, <laughs> you know, all, all of these things that causes us to, to create a, a sense of, of who God is, a, a, a different sense of how we feel about ourselves, who can we trust, right? Childhood trauma, right? Like, my parents got a divorce, and it, it, it hurt. It, it wasn't my fault. My dad was just not, my dad wasn't around. My dad left me and abandoned me and didn't care about me and my mom. You know, uh, my mom didn't affirm me. And I, I, I just felt like an orphan, even though I had a parents. Nobody really cared. Right. Death trauma. Right. Like these, are, these are things that God, God cares about, church. He, he really does. And we don't have to fake it or rush it or force ourselves to be in a place where we're not ready to be yet. Because his pa- he's, he's patient and, and long-suffering. He's long-suffering 
to help us to navigate through these things. Dev Trumpa, if you lost a loved one, especially someone unexpectedly, you know that that you know last time I spoke, I spoke about losing so many people in a in a losing 18 close people in a very short amount of time. Like that's like different than just I won't say that. It's just it's, it just hit me differently, you know. So just losing losing a loved one, having a miscarriage. You know, I, I'm, as a man up here, I, I'm not going to sit up here and fake it and act like I know what that is and what that feels like. But I, I can only imagine what that what that is. And I know that we know that God, He, He's able to help us to process through that. You know, regretting, re regretting an abortion. You know, I was I was I was young, and I, I had so many, I had so many internal pressures around and external pressures around. I didn't know I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. I, I just, I felt like, I felt like that was the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. Yeah. God is a healer. I never thought my spouse would cheat on me. I never, man, why is my spouse hitting me? Why, what's up with the physical abuse here? Man, we used to be so in love. What happened? The people that are closest to us. Right? Cultural trauma. Right? There, there's a trauma church many of you might not understand. But there is a trauma of being black in America and walking the process of slavery to Jim Crow and segregation to civil rights to mass incarceration. There's a, a, a trauma that, that comes with that. And even as a white American, there's a, there's a trauma that comes with that that many times we don't even want to uh, talk about it because there's a feeling of, of either guilt and on the other side there's a feeling of bitterness and, and, and hatred. And it's like we're not necessarily navigating that well. But uh, that's, I can talk forever on that. But there, there's, a, there's a cultural trauma that takes place. Even right now we're in a, a post-pandemic phase and there, there's like a post-pandemic trauma that's sitting. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, like just being being around people and and navigating that as well. Spirit spiritual trauma. You know, like God didn't why God didn't answer my prayer. I pray God heal my mom, heal my grandma, heal my heal my marriage, heal heal take this depression away from me. And God didn't do it when we wanted Him to do it, or or He or He just said no. And we have we begin to have a different identity, our identity and our memory begins to change based on these, how we see God, how we see men now that this happened, how I, how I look at kids, how I view myself. The last one is, is simply self-imposed trauma. I, I, I failed to put that on there. I came, came in late. Uh, but just, just things that we've done that, that we have to, that we're dealing with the consequences or the experiences of that things that nobody else did, we did it. Self-imposed, 
and that's something that we all feel and, and, and can navigate. But today, I'm sharing this because I, I, I feel like God is wanting us to be healthy, to be healed, and to be whole, and to know that there is power in the name. There's power in the community. There, there's power. There's freedom in Christ, whom the Son sets free, right? Now, these are truthful things that we many times will try to either act like it's not that big of a deal so that we can hide it and cave it. But I believe God, if anybody, if anything's kind of stirring up, God's like, no, I, will, I want you to walk in the fullness of what I have for you. Many times we're like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But are you? I say this. This is healthy, and this is okay. And many times we can rush to get to the fifth point here. But these are, this is kind of the process, church, of, of dealing with ex- our experiences, to deal with our loss, to deal with things in our, in our, in our minds um, that we're not, that, that God is not necessarily trying to just act like it doesn't exist. It's okay to suffer and to say if, if there's been something that happened, in your life to actually just, man, that happened. It's okay to to be seen. You need to be seen and you need to be heard. Like many times we skip to this fifth step, but the first four are actually what God, God put these things in place. Even with grieving itself, they say there's like seven steps to grieving. (laughs) That process in and of itself is, is a way that God, is so kind and so patient with us that he com- he compartmentalizes uh, so that we can handle and go from step to step, right? Go from journey to journey here. So so to to be seen and to be heard and to be understood, I pray that the church becomes this this place that has uh, uh, that creates this community that allows that space to actually breathe in these places for a second, uh, to grieve, to lament. Like, grieving is just, it's simply like, it's just sadness. It's a, it's sad. It's, you go walk in different phases, denial and, and shock and all those things. And then lamenting is actually just taking that sadness and giving it to the Lord. And you say, okay, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know why these things happen, but I'm going to give it to you. And then we're taking it to the cross. Take it to the cross. And that's the process of kind of getting over the hill of walking in the freedom that God has for us. And then forgiveness, rebuilding, and not only forgiving and rebuild, but creating a foundation under you that creates resiliency and steadiness, you know, and, a, and just a steadfastness. And this is okay. I don't want to rush. We don't, I've seen it. I've seen people fake and get to step five, and then and I'm like, you're not at step. You're you're. I, I, that's great. I love that, but you can also be honest with where you are, you know. So as you're, and and, and people are in different places at different times. Some of us can skip steps. Some of us might not have might have to go through this process and this journey. And my prayer is that we're able to create an environment where this is okay, to not be, you know, where you want to be in any point in time. 
I close and I say, why deal with it? Why, why, why bring, why, why bring it up? Why, why, like, let's just act like we're good. Number one, it will liberate you in ways you did not even imagine. Like, like God sees the fullness of who you are. Just as I shared with my mother, saw something in me. My father ex expected something, something in me. Like God sees, like he's like, no, I know you think you're okay, but I, I got something even greater for you that you can walk in. Number two, it will change the trajectory of your children and the people closest to you. So for instance, if, there, if, I'm, if I'm speaking to you and I am sharing something maybe halfway deep to you and you immediately either change the subject or just say, I don't want to talk about it, that's going to get relayed to your children quickly. Or, or to the people that are close to you, and your trauma will become their trauma. Like, for instance, you can simply just be a, a, a afraid of dogs. And if you walk in a house, and you have your kids with you, and you're afraid of dogs, your kids are going to be afraid of dogs. It's the same thing in the, in the mind space. So it's important for us to begin to just start this process. And I'm just asking you, and I'm calling you, and I'm commissioning, and I'm, and I'm petitioning you to begin that process of coming to God with it, or, or even just looking at it and addressing it. So um, number three, you no longer give the enemy a foothold into your future. If the devil, if the enemy knows that, I, I, I know that little one thing, get to get you. He will use that. He is, he does not, man, I've seen it. He does not care. And he will come and try to attack that one little space. So fill that place with the heart and the love of Jesus and receive that fullness of what God has. And number four, God desires an abundant life, healthy emotions, and mental stability. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. That is in your mind and in your emotions. God cares just as much about your mind and your emotions as he does your physique and your phys physicality. God cares about it, church. He does. He truly does. Luke, the physician, as, he as Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me uh, and to set the captives free. We see in 20 verses later that he sets free those that are being oppressed. So there was a quick, quick, quick activation of what God was proclaiming to be into what he activated himself into. So Jesus is right here on the front lines with you, walking with you through all of these things that might kind of touch our, or hit a spot in us. And God's like, man, I, I care so much about you. I love you so much. You are here for a reason. And I, I'm, I, I, and I'm gonna walk with you through that full, full process. So maybe you're here today and you're just like, you know, I, I'm good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is so good. But you should also care because this is what God calls from us, right? We should care and be approachable and compassionate. One thing I do feel like we as a church, we've dropped the ball on really caring for people and walking. with. We're so, so busy. And I don't know how to fix that, but we're, we're just so busy that we don't have time for people and we have to make that time to be approachable. I, I never see in the scriptures where Jesus was running or just in this, in this rush 
Like, where, where, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing, man? Like, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Let's, let's begin to become approachable. Let's begin not to be quick to ostracize community groups or people groups that, that are different, that are outside these four, four walls, but begin to hear at least what their story is. Many times we just say, oh, whatever the news says, this is who this person or this is what this people group is, and that's not true. It's just not. There is such a, God made you, y'all. God made you with so much complexity. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, it's not like God, and God's creation for you is not like just, just off the hip, shooting from the hip creation. No, there's a depth to you. We need each other to be better equipped to walk with others through the process. We've too, for, so, for so long, we've just been a, almost like a pray about it society. But we need not only pastors and spiritual leaders, we need, we need psychologists and psychiatrists and we need uh, professional therapists. We need professional counselors. We need licensed people that, that are able to kind of navigate and walk through that. So we, God is wanting to use the whole entourage of people. Like there are things that my wife, that she gets and understands based on her, her education and based on her experiences that as a pastor, I don't necessarily see it but she sees it and i have to release and trust in these people so there's a process to it and and, and so so let's not be a people that's like well oh, you didn't pray hard enough come on man you went to the doctor when you broke your arm the brain the mind has been shifted the identity has been shifted based on something that happened in our life so how much greater, right? Like, isn't the mind, mind over matter, right? Isn't how, how, how much greater is the brain and the mind to care for it and to nurse it and to nurture it and to, 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 to really just come alongside people that, that have had that. So I just call you today not to just shake this message off if you haven't had those traumatic experiences, but I believe that all of us has had like traumatic experiences in our lives. It's a matter if we really want to honestly be like, okay, I need to kind of get this dealt with in a greater capacity. You know, like, am I at the forgiving? But I still, I'm still not, like if somebody brings it up, I'm still going to struggle with it because I don't want to talk about it. But no, I'm forgiving. And now I'm at a place where I can actually talk about it now. I can share about it now and say, man, this is the journey that I went on. Now we all can go on. Now you can go on. Now let me encourage you in that. Let us be that church. Let us be that church that, that really has an a honest purview of what's going on um, when it comes to our experiences, when it comes to our story, and not just put it in a box and say, yo, Absalom was a terrible dude that did all of these crazy things, which is not like God's not saying that that's, there's not an excuse like for what he did. It's not necessarily an excuse, but you can be understood in that process. Right, we've all done some terrible things, and God's not like, ah, Amnon kicking her out. Who, who is this? It's not who the, that's not who God is. Lastly, the heart of God is close to the brokenhearted. Whenever you read the scriptures, family of God, you see God always being close to the brokenhearted, being close to those that are being oppressed, that are being marginalized. This is who God is. He so so cares about 
our struggle. He cares about our need. He cares about our heart. He cares about our emotions. He cares about what happened. He cares about what people did to us that we did not uh, warrant or open. He, care, he cares about that just as much as the enemy wants to destroy you with things like that. God wants to heal you. God wants to empower you. And God wants you to be like, no, look at, look at my son. Look at my daughter. She is an overcomer. She is a breakthrough warrior. She is a princess. She is still beautiful. There's no more. She's not a Tamar. But she is. She went through a traumatic, a terrible experience of, of, of all that nonsense. And she came out as a, a beautiful flower. He came out as a man of God that's, that's warring for other people, that's, that's powerful, that's leading the charge in the kingdom of God, right? That's wholeness, that's healthiness, that's what God is calling us to. So as, even as, as we sing this song and as we pray, I, I, just, I just call you to, to receive and to know that you are thought about, that you are seen, that, that you are heard, and that you are loved by the God of creation, by the God of creation. Not, God already knows. He already sees it. He already cares. He's there. And wherever you are in that process, present it to him and allow him to flow in that love. Allow him to just love you the way that you truly, the way that I truly need to be loved. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the sun sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.